0: Our sermon this morning is on Genesis chapters twenty-eight to thirty-one, we're covering a lot of ground. We're going to read the majority of all, all four of those, those chapters, Genesis twenty-eight to thirty-one, looking at Jacob and kind of the goings-on with Laban and Leah and, and Rachel. A lot of a lot of twists and turns, a lot of palace intrigue, a lot of family drama that we're going to kind of look at and sort through. And so I'm going to pray. We're going we're gonna to just dive right in and read the majority of these four chapters and just think about how it applies for us. Father in heaven, we ask your blessing on these next few minutes. As we listen to your word, as we seek to understand your word, as we seek to apply your word to our hearts and lives, we ask you, Lord, to help us and to be with us. To uh, enable us to see you, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you'll remember from where we left off in Genesis chapter 27, Jacob uh, has Jacob has just ripped off essentially his his father and his brother. He deceived. Uh, you know, he, he, at first he traded his birthright. He traded Esau's birthright. Just a bowl of stew that he was making. So a a big, huge estate and inheritance and tons of of money. And he traded it for for one solitary uh, meal. Then he deceived his his father, Isaac. He was old and blind. And Jacob went into him and said, I'm Esau. I'm your your firstborn son. Uh, And he kind of took the blessing from Isaac that Isaac intended to give to Esau. And then when he does that, Esau says, I'm going to kill you. As as, As soon as our father Isaac dies... Uh, I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to like bring grief uh, upon this old man in the few last few days of his life. But as soon as he dies, I'm going to kill Isaac. And Rebecca overhears that. Cause she hears everything, and she says, or, "Your brother Esau is going to kill you. You better uh, run away. Go live with my brother Laban until things cool down." That's where we are at the end of Genesis chapter 27. We'll pick up in chapter 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to the house of your father's brother and take a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. I'm sorry, your yeah, mother's brother. Uh, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of many people. So may the blessing of Abraham come to you and your offspring that you may take possession of his land. Leave uh, home, go, marry a godly woman. Don't marry a Gentile pagan woman. Verse 6. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away, and he blessed him and directed him and said, don't take a Canaanite woman as your wife, verse 7. And Jacob uh, had obeyed his father, and he had gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives that he had, Mahal, Mahalah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaiah. Nebaiah? Um so Esau is, Esau's not, not, a, not a great kid. He's already married two Gentile women in Genesis chapter 26. So he has already violated this kind of, uh, you know, foundational rule about who you're, marry a believer, marry, uh, don't marry from the unbelieving people that we have moved among, marry a believing, godly woman. Esau's already done, he's already, you know, refused to do that twice, and now he goes and marries a daughter of Ishmael, which is a little awkward because things are tense between the family of Isaac and Rebecca and their children, and the family of Ishmael. They were half siblings that were that kind of came because Abraham, uh, you know, committed adultery and had you know he was married to Sarah and then he took Hagar on the side, had two kids, one from each woman, and there's just a lot of tension. Sarah eventually said, "Send." Uh, You know, send Hagar and Ishmael away. I don't like them. I don't want to be near them. I don't want their family to be involved with our family. And so Esau has already married unbelieving women, and now he marries kind of from the the family that uh, Isaac is kind of estranged from or that there's some – it's almost like Esau is intentionally uh, doing things to upset his parents, actively doing things that he knows his parents will disapprove of. There's some rebellion going on. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place, and he stayed there because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones in that place, he put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep in that place. And as he dreamed, behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is Jacob's ladder. Right? This is, uh, you know, he's sleeping. He, he uh, you know, he's traveling. He needs to rest, has a dream. See this ladder. A lot of scholars think this is maybe referring not to a ladder like me. we might understand a ladder today, but to a ziggurat, which is kind of this ancient structure. It's actually the same thing. They think that the Tower of Babel was a ziggurat, which is kind of like a big temple building that was purposely made as tall as they could. It had stairs kind of on the sides of it, and it had terraces all over it. And it was thought that the gods would kind of come down from the heavens and dwell in the ziggurat, and it was kind of like the place where where heaven and earth could kind of intermingle together. So some people think this is a ziggurat that Jacob is, is dreaming of, and God speaks, verse 13, right? I'm the Lord your God, the father of Abraham and Isaac. Verse 14, I'll give you offspring and blessing. Verse 15, I'll be with you, I'll take care of you. God is just reiterating to Jacob all of the promises that he has made to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac up until this point, right? going to be faithful to you. Your family's been chosen by God. Your family's going to be the venue through which the blessing of God is going to be mediated to the world, right? Your family's been chosen for God to use to bring his Messiah into the world to save his people from their sins. It's kind of all packed up in uh, God's promises to Abraham and also God's promises to Isaac and Naomi. And now Jacob. And later, Jesus would appropriate these promises and say these were all, right, like God, God promised to bless the world through your descendants, through the nation that would come from your line, and the blessing for the world is me, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, who's going to die for the sins of his people and have, and, and you know, secure forgiveness for their sins. We know that Jesus appropriates that from John chapter 1, when he's calling his disciples, and Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of of Israel. And Jesus says, uh, Very truly, I say to you in verse 51, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Which sounds exactly like what Jake, Jacob sees a ladder coming down from heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And Jesus says, you will see the heavens open up and angels will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's saying that, essentially, I am the ladder that Jacob was dreaming about. Right? I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the intersection between heaven and earth. People on earth can experience divine presence and revelation and blessing and salvation through me. I am the way. I am the the latter, I am the, the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob. Right, human, you know, sinful humans can experience a holy God and enjoy a relationship with Him through me, the fulfillment of all of the promises that were made to the patriarchs. Back in Genesis, we're in verse sixteen. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob, uh, you know, builds uh, a monument in verses eighteen and following to remember and commemorate the faithfulness of God. Verse twenty: uh, God will be with me, and he, this is Jacob's prayer: If God will be with me, keep keep me in the way that I go, so that I will give, or and He will give me bread to eat, clothing to wear. So I'll come to my father Isaac's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and I will give a tenth of everything I have to you. So Jacob uh, is still a work in progress. We can tell from his prayer here that he is he has not yet arrived. You know, he's still, God is working on him. He's, he's fresh off of these, like, deceitful incidents of taking advantage of his brother multiple times, taking advantage of his father when he's old and vulnerable, and can't see well, and you can kind of see that, you can see the selfishness, and see the self-oriented, you know, kind of uh, trajectory of his prayer. If, first of all, it's entirely conditional. If God will be with me, and if God will give me, uh, you know, bread to eat, and clothing to wear, and if God brings me safely to his Father's house, then I will, as a condition of God treating me the way that I want to be treated, doing for me what I want done for me, then I will... Worship God and tithe and give give to God. So he still kind of has this "what's in it for me" attitude. This kind of "I'll I'll give you what I think you probably I'll, I'll I'll you know grace you God with with my presence. I'll I'll you know I'll allow myself to be on your team if you meet these conditions for me on the way on the way in. So it's not exactly a model prayer from Jacob. He still is still has a way to go. Chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying beside it. Uh, For out of that well the flocks were watered. It's kind of a a well that the entire kind of like, you know, little little village kind of congregates around. The animals get their water. The stone of the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds, plural, would roll the stone away from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and they would put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So Jacob arrives, big, huge boulder, verse 4. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? Uh, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. uh, He said, It is well. Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with his sheep. Behold, it's still high day. It's not time for livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep go and pasture them. But they said, we cannot water the flocks uh, gathered together until the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well, and then we will water the sheep. So Rachel gets there, and she's got all of her sheep. She's, you know, this beautiful young woman. She's a diligent, hard worker, kind of like her, her aunt, uh, Rebecca. Um, and, and they say, well, we can't, uh, we can't water our flocks because the stone is there, verse 9, while he was still speaking with them. Uh, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a separatist. Now, as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, he likes her. He's kind of, you know, uh, taken by her. Uh, Jacob came near, and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So Jacob takes this big, huge stone that it takes multiple guys to do, kind of in this, like, feat of strength to impress Rachel. Grabs it, kind of like, you know, it's like he's working out in the gym, and he's, like, putting extra weight on his thing to try to get the attention of the girl that's next to him, verse verse eleven, you know, and then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. So he's direct. He just you know, moves this big rock to try to impress her, flex her muscles, walks right up to her, plants a kiss on her, weeps aloud. Jacob told Rachel that she that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. So now we're going to meet uh, now we're going to meet Laban again. Uh, as soon as Laban Laban means white. Um, Laban, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and brought him into his house. And Jacob told Laban all of the things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Again, we met Laban back in Genesis chapter 24 when Isaac, uh, well, when Abraham's servant was going to get a wife for Isaac and he eventually came back with Rebekah. Um, but, but Jacob, or Jason pointed out when he was preaching that, that Laban kind of had this, this slimy, sleazy, opportunistic, you know, vibe to him, right? He like, as soon as he saw all of the wealth that Abraham's servant had with him, that's when he was like, come on into my house. Like, why don't you stay here and have a meal? Why don't you meet my, my daughters? Maybe one of them would be interested in marrying your master's son. Laban loves money, loves money. He's always looking for ways to get more money. He, he loves money and uses people, right? God calls us to love people and use money. Laban loves money and uses uh, people. Verse 15, uh, you know, Laban says to Jacob, uh, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So uh, uh, Jacob stays for several weeks and in a classic negotiating technique, right? You never are the first one. Like you let the person you're negotiating with make the, right, you know, maybe they don't know what they're worth. Maybe they don't know that the going rate for, uh, of, you know, a laborer of his, you know, skill level is much higher. So why don't you tell me what you want your wages to be? If anyone says that, then you should say to them, no, you tell me what you think my wages should be. Because worst case scenario is that they say too low and you just bargain them higher. But worst case scenario, if you're the first one to speak, is that you come in too low and they just accept it right out of the out of the gate. Verse 16. Uh, um, so Laban had two daughters, and the, the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So Rachel, Rachel means young lamb, like a like a you lamb. Rachel's this young, beautiful, supermodel, you know, woman. She's also, she's not full of her, so she's humble, she's diligent, she's out there working in the in, in the fields with the, the flocks. She's everything that Jacob wants and a wife. And Leah has a lazy eye. So all we, all we really see about Leah is that her eyes were weak. Some people think that means she's cross-eyed or maybe she just wasn't, uh, you know, attractive to, to look at. Either way, verse 18, Jacob loves Rachel. He says, I will serve you for your for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to some other man. So yeah, stay with me. And Jacob served Seven years for Rachel, but they seemed like a few days because of the love that he had for her. Verse 15. Wait, I'm sorry, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered all the people of the place and made a feast, a big wedding. And in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Jacob gets tricked, Jacob gets deceived by Laban. Verse 25, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Jacob is is presumably in the the marital, the the bridal suite, and it's dark, and he's there, and maybe they put a veil over her face, and he sends in Leah instead of Rachel, because he Laban kind of knows, i got to get Leah off the books. Because she you know, I need to get her married off, and I'm not sure that she's gonna be able to get married. Rachel, on the other hand, you know, anyone wants to marry her, so if I can get this guy to marry Leah instead of Rachel, then um, you know, yeah, that's it. Good, good on me. And so he pulls the he pulls the sibling, he pulls the sibling switcheroo, right? Take the, the person who can't see and send the the wrong sibling into them and deceive him and tell him that it's the other sibling and not the one that it really is this is irony at its highest level because just two chapters ago this is exactly the same con that Jacob pulled on his blind old father right he went in and lied and said that he was his sibling and kind of tricked his father and extracted something that he wanted from his father that was meant for someone else and now Jacob is having you know is having the exact same con pulled on him he says, "What is this? What have you done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me?" The guy's name means deceiver, right? Why, why have you? Why have you done to me the exact same thing that I've spent my whole life doing to everyone else? Why have you done to me the same thing that? It, why did you Jacob me? Why did you do to me the thing that my reputation I'm notorious for? Right? I mean, this, you know, this is like I, I, ironic. This is meant to be kind of a, a taste of your own. Uh, medicine here for for Jacob, verse 26. And Laban says, oh, like, let me, you know, let me play it off like this was not, you know, malfeasance. It, it's not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete a week for this one, Leah, and then I will or complete a week for this one, and we will also give you the other one in return for serving me for seven years. So basically, you know, take a week off, have a honeymoon with Leah, and then come back and work for me for another seven years, and then you'll be able to marry Rachel. Laban says, "Look, I, you know, caveat emptor. Is that buyer beware?" Yeah, he says, "Look, you're, you know, you already. Saw, she's on your health insurance now, man. I don't know what to do about it. You, there's no, you can't. There's no takebacks here. You've got Leah. If you want Rachel, you have to work for me another seven years." Because Laban knows that that having Jacob in his employ is not just uh, free labor. A guy with a strong back, although it is that uh, this guy's this guy's a money making machine. He is. He is earning, you know, this is, this is like the, the, you know, you're, you found a company and you want to get a CFO and you want to get, you know, managers in place that are going to be making you money. And Laban realizes that Jacob is making him money. So he wants him to stick around for seven more years. And Jacob did so. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife and a female servant. And Jacob uh, went into Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served Laban for another seven years. So Jacob married two wives, Rachel and Leah. He loves Rachel, verse 31. He hates Leah, which is terribly sad. Terrible, I mean, you can't help but feel bad for Leah that, that her husband hates her and prefers her sister to her. But, you know, Leah was also in on the con, right? She She's the one who, you know you know, kind of thought, maybe if I can just sleep with this guy and kind of get him, kind of manipulate him into committing to me, then maybe he'll he'll grow to love me over, over time. But the Lord saw that Leah was hated, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, uh, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, uh, for now my husband will, will love me. So God is compassionate on Leah, uh, gives her a son. Reuben means perceive and look at. God has seen me. God has has you know been gracious to me. Verse 33, she conceived and bore another son called Simeon. Simeon means hear or listen. So the Lord has seen me. Um, that's Reuben. The Lord has heard me. That's Simeon. Verse 34, uh, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've born him three sons. And she called him Levi. Levi means attached or kind of joined to. Verse 35, and she conceived and bore a son. said, this time I will praise the Lord. will so name him Judah. Judah means praise. And she's naming each of these kids, kind of a, what her story is in her life at the moment. God's heard me. God's seen me. My husband will finally love me. I will praise the Lord that she ceases bearing. Verse 1 of the following chapter. Rachel saw that she had bore Jacob no children. She envied her sister. and She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall be. Die. What's your problem, Jacob? Why are you not, it's on, it's, this is your problem. Why are you not giving me any children? And Jacob's like, look, what are you, I'm not, I am having kids. I, like, I, the problem is with you, not with me, right? Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Obviously, I am able to, you know, impregnate women. You're just not able to get pregnant. Verse three. Uh, then here's my servant Bilhah going to her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that I may have children through her. This is the exact same sin and folly that Abraham fell into. Just introduce another person into the, into the situation. Let's use them as a surrogate. Let's commit adultery so that we can have more children and can have them belong to the first person. So she, uh, uh, she give, Bilhah gives birth, and Rachel says, God has judged me. So I'm going to name him Dan. Dan means judge. Rachel's servant, verse 7, has another uh, son, and she says, With many wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. In the name of Naphtali, Naphtali means wrestling. I have spent my whole life wrestling and fighting and contending with my sister. Up until we got married, I was coming out on top all the time because I was pretty. Everyone liked me. Everyone thought I was was you know cool and attractive things came easily to me, but as soon as we got married and we both had access to the same man, all of a sudden she started coming out on top because she's having children and I am not. She's got the stability that comes from uh, you know giving birth to, to male heirs. I do not. She has has security for knowing that when she gets older, she's going to have sons to take care of her. I do not. We've been fighting. We've been wrestling. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So Leah's like, I didn't know that we could use our servants as surrogates. We I'd have eight kids by now. We'd be pumping about it twice as fast. How come no one told me about that little, you know, stipulation? So she gives her servant to Jacob, and, and uh, she bears him a son. And Leah says, good fortune has come. Gad means good fortune. Verse 12, she bears him another son. And Leah says, happy am I. Uh, I am blessed and women have called me happy. Asher means happy. So now at this point, Jacob has eight sons, four from Leah, four from Rachel's servant Bilhah, I'm sorry, four from Leah, two from Rachel's servant Bilhah, two from Leah's servant Zilpah. Verse 14. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben found, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Reuben is the first, uh, born Son of Leah, he goes and finds mandrakes. Mandrakes were thought to be an aphrodisiac, right? These are, they're kind of like green M&Ms, right? They're meant to kind of sexual attraction, desire. It's like you're going to have a date night. And Rachel, uh, who's never had any kids of her own, uh, says to Leah, give me some of your son's mandrakes. He says, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Now you want to take my mandrakes also? I, I need, you know, I need them. You've got four kids. I have none. I need all the help that I can get. Leah says, "Well, at least you have a husband that loves you. You took him from from me. I'd rather have that than have children." And Rachel says, "Well, I'll if you give me your son's mandrakes, then I will let you lie with Jacob tonight." So this, you know, it's getting it's getting complicated. There's a revolving door on Jacob's bedroom. He needs a scheduler to figure out which woman he's going to sleep with on any given night. Rachel is kind of coordinating all of that. And she says, I'll put you into the rotation if you give me those mandrakes. Verse 16, Jacob comes comes in from the field in the evening. Leah went out and said, you must come in and lie with me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. Not a healthy marital dynamic. You have to sleep with me because I have hired you to do that. Verse 17, "Uh, God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages. So he, called her, he called her son Issachar. Issachar means wages. Then Leah conceived again, and Jacob bore a sixth son. And Leah says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have born six sons. And Zebulun means honor. And she has a daughter named her Dinah. So now Jacob has ten sons, six from Leah, two from each maidservant, one daughter, still none from Rachel yet. Verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb and conceived, she conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Joseph means add. So you know Jacob has eleven sons, one daughter, and that's kind of where that's that's where we're that's all he has for now. He's gonna have a twelfth son later in Genesis thirty-five. So Rachel, Rachel's going to die during childbirth when she's giving birth to her second son, Benjamin. Verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away, that I may go to my home, to my own home and my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, that you may know the service, or, for you know the service that I have given you. Right? Laban, I've worked for you for a long time. I've made you rich. You have not compensated me particularly generously. I'm going to go start my own business and do my own business. And Laban says, "If I found favor in your sight, if I've learned or I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you, name your wages and I'll give it." Laban says, "I don't worship God. I'm, you know, involved in the occult and magic and fortune telling and all this stuff. And I've learned that you are the the reason why I'm getting as rich as I am. So name your wages and I will give it to you." Verse twenty nine. Jacob said to him, "Right." And it's interesting, right? Uh, Laban doesn't say, "Don't leave." I I love you. I love your wives. They're my daughters. Please stay close to home. I love your kids, my grandchildren. I want to see them. Jacob doesn't, doesn't care about any of that. He cares about money. He cares about all the money that Jacob has made and might potentially make for him in the future. Jacob says, you yourself know that I have served you and, I, and how your livestock have fared because of me. For, for you had little before I came, and it's increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you. But now, I need to provide for my own household. I need to leave. I need to go take some risks. I need to earn, man. 31, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything, but you do this for me. And I'll pass through your flock and keep it. Let me pass through your flock today and remove from it all the speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the speckled and spotted among the goats. And those will be, that's my retention bonus. It's all of the speckled and spotted animals and the black lamb. My honesty will answer for me, because when you come back and look at my wages, everyone that is not speckled or spotted among the goats, that will be counted as stolen. This is an easy, clear way for us to delineate what's yours and what's mine. If you want me to stay, give me this as kind of my, you know, my my bonus to keep me uh, around. Laban says, good, it shall be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were stuck and spotted and everyone that had a white on it and every lamb that was black and he put them in the charge of his sons. He's hiding his money in a Cayman Island bank account. Like, I don't want you to know about this. I'm going to get all of the stuff that's rightfully yours according to our agreement that we just signed. I'm going to move it away so that you don't know where it is. Laban is conning Jacob again. So Jacob, but it's, so it, it's a, a big kind of one-time nest egg bonus that's supposed to come to him in the form of all of the speckled and spotted animals are there, as well as a, a, a revenue-sharing, kind of profit-sharing model going forward, right? If we have a big flock with 100 animals and 20 of them are speckled and spotted, then that means I'm getting 20% of the revenue moving forward. And, and Laban kind of rips all of that that off and says you can't have any of any of that. But then so now Jacob is is a, is still a con man. He's still a schemer himself. So he's going to go toe to toe with Laban. Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and he peeled white streaks in them and he exposed the white of the sticks and he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the troughs that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink and since they bred when they came to drink the flocks bred in front of the sticks and so the flocks brought forth striped and speckled and spotted offspring. So this is, you know, a weird Not sure what exactly is going on here, if it's some, if it's like some sort of superstition that if animals see speckled, spotted, uh, plants, then maybe their, their offspring will be speckled and spotted, or maybe it actually is some primitive, like, genetic engineering that, that, you know, that these, you know, shepherds kind of knew about. But Jacob is basically trying to uh, manipulate the skew the results, right? He's like, I went in going thinking that maybe 20% of the flocks were going to be mine, and now I've got one because Laban's ripped me off. So I'm going to try to get that 1% to reproduce a whole lot and and minimize the reproduction of the other ones because I'm not getting any uh, revenue from that. Verse 40. And Jacob separated the lambs and put the face of the flocks for the striped and all that were black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart, and he did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But the feebler of the flock, he would lay the, he would not lay them there. So the feebler offspring would be Laban's and the stronger offspring would be Jacob's. Verse 43. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. So it's like, it's quantity and quality. Jacob wants to, you know, put these there so that they will reproduce more and have more offspring, but he's also specifically choosing the best animals and trying to make it to where they will give birth to speckled and spotted offspring. And the work, like, because Laban thought it was the other way around. Laban thought, you know, the, the majority of the animals that are born, it's going to kind of hold true to form like it's been my whole life. The majority of the animals will be the dominant gene, you know, just the plain uh, colored ones. And the minority will be the recessive gene. Uh, speckled and spotted ones and those tend to be weaker and mangly and not, you know, not very strong and not good anyway. And so Jacob is kind of flipping the script where he's going to get more offspring than Laban and better offspring than Laban. In the next chapter, verse one. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our fathers and from what our fathers, he has gained all of this wealth. They're catching on, right? Laban's sons are saying, "Hey, this got like this is not working how it's supposed to. It's supposed to be that the majority uh, of, of the best animals uh, are, you know, belong to us and the minority of the weakest animals belong to, La- to to Jacob, but he's he's cooking the book somehow. He's manipulating the results." And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Laban's getting upset. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and he called Rachel and Leah in from the field. And he said, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father all this time with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. Laban has been constantly trying to go back on his word, change the deal. You get 20%. Now you're actually making more than I thought. So now it's only 15. Now it's 10. Now it's 7. Right? He's changing my my wages. Right? If he said the spotted and speckled shall be your wages, and then they all bore spotted. And if he said the stripes will be your wages, then the flock wore strike. God has taken away the livestock of your father and has given them to me. Verse 10. In the breeding season... Of the flock, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped and spotted and mottled. Verse eleven. Then the angel of the Lord said to me, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that made with the flock are striped, speckled, or striped, spotted, mottled, for I have seen what Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me, to now arise and go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Jacob says to his wives, who are Jacob's daughters, or who are Laban's daughters, your dad's ripping me off. He's ripping us off. I'm your, you're, you're married to me. It's not just me. He's ripping off his own daughters. Then Rachel and Leah answer him in verse 14, is there any portion or inheritance left for us in our father's house? He's written us out of his will. He hates Jacob so much that he is letting, he, he is Disowning his own daughters because they are associated with Jacob because Jacob is outsmarting him. Jacob is out earning him. We're regarded as foreigners. He sold us and indeed he's devoured all of our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So Jacob, go, whatever God has said to you, go ahead and, and do it. The, the, these women realize that their father is a crook and a con man, a, a con man and a scam artist. He doesn't love us. He loves money. He only ever pretended to love us so that he could cash in on a dowry or on forced labor from someone to try to get, you know, to try to get our hand in in marriage. These women are growing up, and they're starting to, you know, see their father for who he really is. It's instruct, instructive, right? You grow up, you can kind of have a, you look back on your childhood and on your parents with fresh eyes whatever they did that was good, take it. Emulate it. Treat your kids the way that your parents treated you when you're thinking of things that they did that were godly. But if your parents did things that were not good, if they did things that were dishonest or immoral or unkind, learn from that. You know, acknowledge what it is. Celebrate God for the good things that your parents did and emulate it. And acknowledge the things your parents did poorly. Learn from their mistakes and don't repeat their same mistakes. Verse 17, Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all the livestock and the property he had gained. The possession he went to Paddan Aram, to the land of Canaan. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramian by not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled with all that he had across the Euphrates, and he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob just Hightails it out of there, middle of the night, right? When when Laban is busy, he's like, you know, like the Baltimore Colts going to Indianapolis, right? Like, we're just going to sneak out of here. No one's going to, they'll find out that we're gone once we're gone. Verse 22, when Laban uh, found out on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and he pursued them for seven days close after them into the hill country. And God came to Laban in a dream and said, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Verse 25, eventually Laban overtook Jacob. Jacob had had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? Why have you tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you secretly trick me and not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters and grandchildren farewell? All of a sudden, Laban cares about, right, the whole time it's been money, 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 right? Don't leave, Jacob, because you make me money. Let me steal money from you. Let me, you know, deprive. I'm not going to give money to my own kids as an inheritance to kind of leave a legacy for the coming generations. And Laban's always been about money until all of a sudden it's convenient for him to pretend like he cares about his family. Because says, why did you do that? Now you have done foolishly, Verse 28. Verse 29, it is in my power to do you harm. I could kill you right now, Jacob. No one would ever even know. Take all of your stuff right back, the stuff that you stole from me. God of your father spoke to me last night and said, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But but why did you steal my God? Why did you break into my room and steal my idol that I keep in my room that I, you know, this false God that I that I pray to? Here's the detail that Jacob wasn't familiar with. Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen Laban's God. Jacob said, because I was afraid I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone that you see with me that you find your gods, they shall not live in the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that's yours and take it. And Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen those gods and so Laban goes into Rachel's tent, and into Le- or goes into Leah's tent and the tent of the two female servants. He didn't find anything. And he went into Leah's tent. He entered Rachel's tent, and Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in a camel's saddle and sat on them. Right. So those gods aren't very good. They they you know they, they can't make anything happen. They get you know they just get taken wherever they wherever they want. Now Rachel had taken them and sat on them. Laban felt about the tent. He did not find them. And she said to her father. Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, because the way of women is upon me. So she searched, but or so he searched, but did not find his god. So Rachel says, "I didn't take him." Laban says, "Well, what about that container that's about their exact size that they could easily be hiding in that you're sitting on and you have not gotten up the whole time? So she's busted, and she says, "I'm on my period," and and he's, oh, I'm out. Talk to your mother about that. Uh, this is not my department. So he says, I'm just gonna write those gods off as a loss. I don't even want them. Verse 36. Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said, what is my offense? What is, what, you came after me. You accused me of stealing. You fell through all my stuff. You haven't failed any of your, your goods. Set it here before your kinsmen so that we may decide between us. These 20 years, Laban, right? Seven for Leah, seven for Rachel. Six more after that, working for you with this profit sharing model that you kept, you know, conning me and stealing from me. 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and female goats have not miscarried. And, they, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring you. You made me buy all my uniforms, right? Any losses that were incurred during the course of doing my job, I ate it. I didn't, you know, pass it on to you as the owner of the business. Everything that you required from my hand, I bore the loss myself, whether it was stolen. Verse 40, there I was, by the day heat consumed me, cold by night, slept, fled, sleep, fled from my eyes, right, I work around the clock for you, 20 years, I've served you. Verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely you would have sent me away empty-handed. The only reason I've got anything is because God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you. You are a crook, Laban. You stole from me. You stole from your own daughters and from your own grandchildren. You're a con man and a crook. You're a bad guy. Verse 43, then Laban answered, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. Everything that you have, Jacob is mine. He still is thinking that Jacob stole from him when he the whole time has been stealing from, from Jacob. Right, What can I do this day for these daughters and their children that you have born? Come, let us make a covenant, you and I. Right, Let's make a truce. And Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar, presuming to, this is verse 45, seeming to represent the one God that Jacob believes in. And then the kinsmen of Laban said, gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, presumably to represent the variety, the multiplicity of gods that Laban worships. And they make a they make a pillar, and they call it Jegar Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Galeed. And Laban said, "This heap is a witness between you and me today." And he named it Galeed And Mizpah, for he said, "The Lord watch between you and me. When one of us is out of the other sight, if you, this is Laban, if you oppress my daughters, or if you take my wives beside, if you take other wives beside my daughters, and no one, and although no one is with us." God is a witness between you and me. Laban's idea of a covenant is, you better not do anything wrong to me, and if you do, right, God is the, God's the elf on the shelf that's gonna see what you do, and you're gonna be in trouble for it. You better, you better not. Verse 51, set up this heap and this pillar I've set between you and me. This heap is a witness. The pillar is a witness. I will not pass over this heap, and you don't pass over this pillar. No one does the other one. Harm. You stay on your side, I stay on my side. Verse 53, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father will judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread, they spent the night. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his children, grandchildren, blessed them, and departed, and returned home. The story of Jacob and Laban, these two kind of schemer, con men, both trying to take advantage of the other one, both trying to get the upper hand on the other one, both trying to manipulate the other one, and and Rachel and, Lab- Rachel and Leah, these two sisters who spend their whole life, Naphtali, wrestling with each other, fighting with each other, contending, trying to get the upper hand, just like Jacob and Esau did, right? Trying to get the upper hand, trying to have, you know, I'm prettier, that's good, I can have kids, that, you know, it's just a story of all of these, you know, all these guys, and here's what we, you know, what we can take away the big, the, the overarching theme is exactly that, right? Everyone in the story has conflict with someone. Jacob has conflict with Esau. Jacob goes to Laban. Jacob has conflict with Laban. Rachel and Leah conflict, tension, rivalry, right? Trying to get the best of the others is a recurring theme. Everyone's always trying to get the better of everyone else that they are. Around Ripping each other off, tricking each other, lying to each other, manipulating, taking advantage of each other, bitterness, jealousy, resentment. Every single turn, everyone in the story is constantly fighting and striving and competing with someone else. And you can't blame them. You can't blame them for acting like that because that's... That's how you that's how you get ahead, and right that's how you get ahead in life, is to, is to, it's a it's a dog eat dog world. Kill or be killed, right? Every dollar that someone else gets is a dollar that you could have gotten. They're taking money out of your pocket. Every victory for them is a loss for you. You gotta get out there. You gotta earn. You gotta compete. You gotta win. You gotta be good enough. You've got to be smart enough. You've got to be savvy. You've got to be clever. You've got to take advantage of them. You've got to get revenge when they wrong you. You've got to, you know, if they have a vulnerability, you have to exploit it. You have to be smart enough, successful enough, spiritual enough. You've got to do it better than everyone else so that you win and they lose. Because if they win, then you lose. They'll get everything that you want. You'll get nothing. They'll get love and attention from their spouse. You'll get no one will love you and care about you. They'll get the money that was rightfully Yours, it's all on you, it's all up to you. Get rich, or die trying. The world we live in, right? Tension, and, and rivalry, competing, hatred, manipulating, right? All of that, all of that is, is normal, all of that is to be expected, and all of that is downright inevitable, When we live in a world that's not ruled by God, when we live in a world marked by scarcity, but if we live in a world that's ruled by a God who is sovereign and good, if we live in a world of abundance where we have a Father that loves us and wants to bless us and take care of us, the, the the door is then open for us not to exploit and take advantage of and manipulate and deceive and and you know try to come on come out on top of our neighbor now the door is open to love our neighbor cultivate healthy relationships with our neighbors right if you live in a world where there is no god or where god's love for you is strictly conditional you will act like this to everyone in your life But if you live in a world where God loves you unconditionally, God has been gracious to you unconditionally, God's acceptance of you is not predicated upon your performance or how good you are or how you measure up or how you compare to the people around you, right? The world sees you like that. But if you live in a world where God God doesn't see you and how you stack up to everyone that you're competing with, God just, Reuben, God sees you. God hears you. God loves you. Not because of who you are, not because of what you've accomplished, not because of everything that you've accumulated, everything that you've done and merited. God loves you because of who He is and His perfect love. That frees you up to stop fighting and stop contending and stop trying to get the best of everyone and stop trying to come out on top. Right Now you can be freed up to to rest and exhale And enjoy the grace of God instead of exhausting yourself trying to earn the acceptance of God. And it frees you up to love our neighbors. See them as friends. Instead of competing with them as rivals or enemies. The the grace and the unmerited favor of God that God offers freely to his people changes everything about our life. Everything about our relationships. Everything about our family dynamics. We don't have to live like Jacob and Laban and Rachel and Leah anymore. We can rest, we can breathe, we can enjoy, and we can love. And we can see the grace and the unmerited favor of God in the person and work of Jesus. The the true and better ladder of Jacob, God himself coming from heaven to earth, revealing himself, showing his grace to his people in Christ. God has invaded our world He's left heaven. He's come to earth. He's dwelt among us. He's lived the life that God called us to live. He's honored God perfectly. He's loved His neighbor perfectly. He's died the death that God required of us. He's borne the wrath and taken the punishment that was ours. And when Jesus died in our place, He made it possible for sinners to be reconciled to God, brought near, sins forgiven. Jesus is the the ladder. Jesus is the way through which broken sinners can be reconciled to a holy God so that they can experience his love and grace and his glory and his presence. Jesus is the way through which God gives grace to his people and that grace, that unmerited favor is what changes us and allows us to let go of of pride and resentment. It It allows us to love our neighbor and work for their good instead of competing with them and trying to take advantage of them. In Christ, God has been gracious to us. And because God has been gracious to us, we can rest and we can love our neighbor like he has called us to do. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the free grace of Jesus. The glorious reality that Jesus came to us. Jesus lived among us, died in our place, paid our penalty, accomplished our salvation. We thank you for who Jesus is and for what he has done for us. And Lord, we pray that we could live in view of the person and work of Jesus, that we could rest in the sufficiency of his death and his resurrection. Lord, as we do, I pray that we could love our neighbors Stop fighting with them. Stop wrestling with them. Stop contending with them. Stop trying to take advantage of them. Instead, I pray that we could love our neighbors with the same sacrificial love that Jesus loved us with. In Christ's name, we pray.